Hi everybody, today I have Sue Kinsella from me from Red Ark Nurses. Hi Sue. Oh, good morning, Catherine, and thank you so much for inviting me to talk on your podcast again. Oh, it's lovely to have you with us. We are going to be talking about sort of the common feelings and behaviours of people that have been diagnosed with a medical condition or possibly had a bereavement, how nurses like Sue are able to help and the best practices for advisors and insurers to support people more, well, I was going to say better, but um, that's probably not the best of words, is it really? But uh, this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So Sue, can you tell me a little bit about how things have been for you recently then? How's your weekend? And I know you've got a very special day coming up on Saturday as well. I have. It's my grandson's fourth birthday. So we are looking forward to celebrating um, being together, socially distancing, of course. But, um, you know, after a difficult period of lockdown, it'd just be so lovely to have a sense of normality. So I'm um, looking forward to that, Catherine. Absolutely. I think the thing is, it's, it's the normality, especially for the kids, that's just so, so important. Um, the other weekend, we managed to take our three to um, the local sort of like conservation zoo, which is um, from England. And um, we usually go really regularly throughout the year. And obviously, we've not been at all this year. And it was just nice to get them out in a bit of somewhere that they know that's familiar to show them that things are kind of getting back to normal and safe again. And we stayed away from all the really busy areas because you know, there was a lot of not social distancing happening between people and queues. Um, so we just stayed near the animals and everything. But um, it was just really nice. And and I, I don't think as well that I realised just how much I needed that as well, just needed, you know, to see them, you know, really just letting their hair down, just running around giggling. And yeah, it was so, so nice. We have the Truth or Life feature from our last podcast. And last time I was speaking to Leon Miles from Macmillan Cancer Support. And um, you have to decide if that's okay, whether or not, well, which one of us was telling the truth and which one of us was telling uh, the lie. So um, Leo had said that she had abseiled down the tallest building in Portsmouth. I've forgotten the name of it, but it's the tallest building in Portsmouth. And I said that the weirdest thing that I have ever eaten is crocodile. So I'm just wondering, who do you think is telling the truth? Ooh. I think it's you, Catherine. You think it's me? I'm, I'm, I'm the, like the worst person for like lying or telling, you know, I, everyone keeps catching me. Yes, I am absolutely telling the truth. Um, <laughs> Leo has not been down, um, the, not been abseiling down that building. But yes, um, Alan is one of those people where I have to refer to him as kind of like a bit of a Neanderthal. You know, he just, he will eat anything and everything. He'll give it a go. And um, I got into this thing for his birthdays for quite a while where I kept buying like exotic meat hampers and one of them came with crocodile. So yes, we have eaten crocodile, which is, um, which was unusual, but there's lots of other things like chocolate ants and um, vodka scorpion lollies, things like that. Lots of things. I think a lot of people be going, oh no, but, um, but yes, he, uh, he's loved having Thank those. <laughs> Yeah, I think most people would give it a miss. Yeah, there was a few people in our sort of like, oh, we're not going to try that. And it was like, well, go on, go on. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't think anybody was very keen on the. Um, I think it was like salt and peppery kind of yeah. things, and yeah, um, yeah I think uh, <laughs> bit of I'm a celebrity theme in the cure offices a little while. <laughs> so Sue, so, 
you work for Red Arc Nurses and obviously I've had the pleasure of spending a little bit of time with you in your offices last year. It was wonderful. I had a little break over to, to Chester Zoo and we managed to pop in and see you guys. And it, it was just lovely to, to be in that atmosphere and see you guys working. Can, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and also about Red Arc Nurses okay. as well? Well, Catherine, it was just lovely to welcome you both, both you and Alan, to our lovely office in Chester, uh, just to see how we work firsthand. People who visit us say it really brings our service to life when they, you know, they sit with the nurses, see how we work, and everyone comments what a lovely, calm environment that we work in. I've been at Red Dog for almost 12 years. Um, prior to this, I worked in the NHS for 27 years in a busy inner city hospital in Liverpool, working on a busy acute medical ward. To be honest, I thought I'd be there till I retired. Uh, I loved being a hands-on nurse, uh, but I was becoming more frustrated with not being able to give my patients the time that they needed. An opportunity arose at Red Arc, um, and I thought, if I don't take this, I will regret this opportunity for the rest of my life. And I thought, I'll give it a go for six months. Um, and I've never looked back. I'm still here now. <laughs> so, um, so and I'll, yes, so um, yes, it's uh, one of the best decisions I've made in my life. Now, the Red Dot nurses become from a variety of settings, whether it's um, district nurses working in care homes, lots of experience behind everybody. And again, it's a really unique setting where we have a wonderful team both the nurses, the admin. Okay. So I think um, the, the, with the Red Arc nurses, the, the, you all come from like, you, you all come from obviously, I'm assuming lots of different specialisms and, you know, bring clearly a, a, a deep sort of like breadth of knowledge and experience from, I imagine a lot of people have worked in the NHS, so have been able to see how things and sort of like the networking and where all those kind of systems and processes a kind of set up um, between maybe different hospitals, GP surgeries, you'll understand very much the ins and outs of the NHS system. And I, I imagine all of your knowledge can come together and, and really support that and, and provide obviously a bit more, like you were saying about like the time to be able to give to people. You can maybe do that a bit more with Red Arc. At Red Arc, we do have different expertise. That all brings a Red Arc service together because we can draw on each other's experience and knowledge um, I think the key thing for me is that the nurses really care about what they do, about their patients. Um, and we also have a wonderful admin team who um, are experts because they're the first port of call for when the patients call in. So we're very proud of the team as a whole. We work together really well and complement each other's skills and knowledge. So I think um, a good place for us to start would be for us to chat about what it's like um, when someone is diagnosed with a medical condition. And I want to be really clear for anybody who's listening that we're not going to say anything that is identifiable to anybody in particular. Um, you know, obviously, we're going to be very, very sensitive about that. I know um, just from my experiences, I'll be quite open. I, I usually I'm probably everyone's fed up with me talking about my health, but um, I know for myself I was particularly ill as a child and you know when I was seeing you know the specialists and the consultants and everything it was obviously a scary time not knowing what was going on but I kind of felt like for me it was a scarier time um, not knowing what was going on, knowing that I wasn't, you know, in the sense, quote unquote, normal, um, that I couldn't do the same things as friends and different things like that. And it just 
when I eventually got a name for what was wrong with me, and I say what's wrong with me, <laughs> I hope that comes across in the right way, I got a name for why I was different, um, and I got that diagnosis, it was just, it was kind of part of it was a big sense of relief. Um, you know, there was an anxiety over, right, okay, yes, so it isn't just in my mind, I, this is definitely happening. Um, but also just that relief of going, so I've not been making it up. And the people maybe who did doubt me, um, or said that things that were happening to me were impossible, different things like that, that they were actually wrong. And, you know, here was someone like validating what I'd been experiencing. And, um, you know, I, I think sometimes it can be quite powerful. But I mean, is that kind of a, a quite a common experience that people have? It's kind of like a mixture of anxiety, but also relief, because then once you've got a name, you can then plan as to what's to do going forward. I mean, what are your experiences? Absolutely, Catherine. And thank you for sharing your personal experience. And I agree what you have felt. Uh, we do hear from our patients. I think the initial feeling people have is shock disbelief and fear when receiving a diagnosis of a critical illness and at that point yeah. uh, people are unable to listen to the fine details but definitely a sense of relief well actually um, I'm not going mad I don't know what's wrong with me uh, but ultimately people need to know what their this diagnosis means to them and the impact that this they, this may have on them and their family a real concern we hear from our patients is telling family friends colleagues and children and what they should actually say. The support we provide can give people extra time to have the opportunity to talk through their concerns and we can actually guide them into having these difficult conversations with those around them. But you're actually, you know, you're absolutely right with, um, with what you say. Catherine. You know, based upon that, you know, that whole thing of what we were just saying there about how to try and, you know, speak in a supportive manner, you know, somebody's possibly just, as you say, with a critical illness, just heard something that has caused them to go into shock, you know, in disbelief. Um, what can we do, in a sense, as advisors and as people in claims departments to provide the most supportive journey to people that are facing these events? You know, if, if this is an advisor, if somebody comes to me and I've arranged that critical illness policy for them, they're going to be, as you say, you know, they're, they're going to possibly be in shock. There's going to probably be a lot of emotion. They're not sure as to what to do. And obviously, they're, they're coming to us for, for support. Um, I'm wondering if there's like certain things in regards to uh, the language that we can use, the tone of our voices. Is there anything that you would say is sort of like really key things to try and, and to do our best? Yes, I mean, it, it is a very difficult conversation to have with people because you will have that emotional attachment. I think it is just so important to listen empathetic, empathetically without judgment and show that you really care. Give that person the time to talk and listen to what is actually being said rather than what you what you think you have you have heard yeah. and do that by just checking is is that right that you've said that to make sure that you've totally understood yeah i think having a calm approach with a soft tone of voice is important and if you are seeing people face to face make sure you make eye contact yeah um never interrupt um and definitely never look at your watch yeah. or say I know how you feel because no one will know how that person feels. But I think the, the most important thing is to show that you care about that person. And I think that will come across. Absolutely. I think, you know, that that's got to be the thing. I think we live in such a hectic society now that especially in this kind of situation, I think, you know, it would just be incredibly important to make sure that you do give undivided attention and that person knows because to them, they're, world is potentially kind of in a complete spin and 
they possibly feel as if the world's crumbling in some ways and just to make sure that they know that you have you know they are getting your absolute undivided attention and they are the complete focus um is it's got to be you know the key thing i think that when it comes to these things, there's some generally some good practice uh, for all stages of the insurance journey, which is the application, the medical underwriting and the claim. One thing that I am often saying is, is that I, I'm not particularly keen on like the mental health questions and how they're particularly worded. And I think you know, it, this this need for being, you know, sort of like a, a sensitivity is so important. I completely get what you say about, you know, obviously don't ever say that you understand how someone feels. And I think that can be really hard sometimes to know the exact wording to use. And, um, and I'm not saying that I always get it right. But one thing that I do is because I have I'm very open. I've had generalized anxiety disorder now for the last 15 years. I've had a couple of bouts of agoraphobia. And when I speak to people about mental health and, and, and they have had a mental health condition and they've come to me for support, one of the things I say to them is, you know, I was like, I always say, you know, please don't, you know, be concerned about being open because I obviously I don't have the same experiences and maybe the conditions that you have but I do have mental health myself and I had difficulties getting insurance and I know how tough these questions are and how they're very some of them could be quite intrusive and um, so I, I do try and make it in that sense of saying you know it's like I, I don't understand what you're going through or what you have been through but yeah. in some ways I can I can appreciate how a mental health condition can sometimes have an effect on somebody's life. And I, I try and, and say it that way. Hopefully that's all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, with, I know when we're talking of just going back to mental health questions, with some applications, um, you can go straight from saying to somebody, right, can you give me your name? You know, what gender are you? Are you a smoker, non-smoker? Can I have your height and weight? To, to immediately going into asking about mental health and a, probably about three or four questions into that asking about potential suicide attempts um, which I think is quite um, quite a quick step into going into that kind of questioning I think if you're speaking to obviously an advisor who's maybe had time to build a rapport and you've already gone through these things we can kind of buffer these questions and how quickly they're going to be said um, but I think there's going to be times where it maybe catches people off guard can you think of any way that advisors can, can kind of ask these and approach these questions sensitively? Yes, I agree, Catherine. This is a very, very sensitive, difficult subject and can often cause people distress. Um, from what you already said, you and your advisors really care about your clients and this will come across and hopefully this will put the client at ease while asking these questions. I think hopefully if your clients feel at ease, that will actually help the advisors. Again, effective communication is the key here and making sure that your advisors don't use their own subconscious bias, which we all have mm. when asking these questions and making the client feel that we are being treated respectfully without any judgment. I think the key here is show that you care. I know that for myself and many of us, we get emotionally invested in the people that we speak to. Um, but there is a very thin, sorry, thin line between listening empathetically and becoming a counsellor. And I, I kind of believe that we have to be very careful not to cross that line. And it's for both the, the other person and for ourselves. Do you have any tips over how to avoid this? Um, at Red Arc, our nurses are very skilled in listening and offering advice. How, however, we are always make it very clear to people that we speak to, we are not counsellors. As counsellors are trained therapists who have uh, qualifications after comprehensive training. It's about being aware of your boundaries 
and making sure that you actually signpost people to where they can access appropriate support such as their GP. But I appreciate it is a fine line, but sometimes you do have to step back and make sure that that person actually gets the most appropriate support at that time. But yes, you can easily get involved in having difficult conversations and it's about establishing boundaries. It's very important that your, your claim handlers are, are aware of their boundaries and make sure that they don't cross that line yeah. and make sure that that person gets the most appropriate um, help and support. So when I visited your offices, I distinctly remember the red flags on your desk that the team can wave if they are on a call and need support. I, I absolutely loved it. And it's something that we've integrated into at Cura so that we can quickly step in and support each other um, and the client if the conversation appears to so show some kind of like heightened vulnerability. Uh, what would you say are good actions for people to take if they are speaking with someone and they do become concerned over their safety? Yes, the flags are a great idea and I'm glad that you found them helpful in uh, Cura. It is very worrying when you talk to someone and you're concerned about their safety and you want to make sure that they get the help and support they need to keep them safe in the moment. The advice I would give is that if you feel someone is at risk, to express concern for their safety and reassure them that they are not alone. You could say, I'm really concerned about what I'm hearing. I think you should speak to a friend, family member, GP, about how you're feeling so that they can help. You could also mention charities like the Samaritan's Mind. I think it's important as plate handlers talk to a colleague, manager about the call as it will naturally be distressing. Yeah. At Red Arc, we have uh, registered mental health nurses who have the training to help them deal with people at risk. And we have a clear risk policy on what to do. And this would include find out where they are. Are they alone, safe, someone they can call to be with them? Are they planning to hurt themselves, need, opportunity, plan? Yeah. Um, but if in doubt, we will always, we would contact their GP, crisis team, request a welfare check from the police or call an ambulance. But again, a stress, we have registered mental health nurses who have the training to, to support them in that. I think that's incredibly important. And I, I'm not saying obviously in any way that me and Alan are, are sort of like anywhere near kind of like the, the level of a, a mental health nurse. But one of the things that we did last year was we, um, we took the mental health first aid course with Mental Health Foundation England. And yeah. um, we found that incredibly useful just to sort of like know some of those clear steps really to take in regards to you know sort of like how do you identify if there is in a sense of vulnerability that the specific words to potentially look out for that aren't necessarily you wouldn't necessarily immediately think are a red flag but actually could be and then that step of like right do you maybe try and get a GP involved do you call an ambulance do you call the police um because that's it's very difficult to know where to do that especially I think as an advisor when you've got for many people you know we have no you know proper medical training we've got no training sort of like to identify necessarily vulnerabilities and to sort of know when you should really step in and at what point do you say okay well actually I think I've got a point of needing to ring a GP at this moment Um, that's a, a very huge responsibility yeah that's it that's it sorry thank you yeah <laughs> it's a huge responsibility yeah. as an advisor with, who doesn't have training to know whether or not they can do that or not or whether it's their responsibility to do it that the potential consequences yeah. of not doing it Um, so I do yeah. think that the you know there's definitely as we are getting to a point where more and more people have things like mental health conditions 
And maybe as well, not even if somebody has classically had mental health conditions, but as you say, if somebody's had a critical illness diagnosis, they could be in shock. There could be a lot of emotions flying around and there could be sudden marked feelings I imagine can appear quite quickly um, regardless of their, their past. And I think it's, it's just really important for us to all have some kind of maybe training or guidance within our com companies as to what to do. So in Cura, we now have a very specific vulnerable customer policy. Do you have any other um, points or anything that you feel that you would like to, to mention to anybody about, um, about what, who read it? Uh, Red Arc are about any of the services that you can provide. I know my colleagues, a couple of my colleagues have used your services and they're just absolutely blown away with what you guys are able to do. Oh, thank you, Catherine. That's really, really lovely to hear. At Red Arc, we are all very passionate about our service in helping people when they really need support and make a difficult time a little more manageable. A diagnosis of a serious illness, whether it's mental or physical, affects people in different ways and our support is very much tailored to the individual needs and circumstances. We, we offer telephone support and in our experience, people feel more comfortable to share how they're feeling with the reassurances that they were not judged in any way. Yeah. So people can talk to us from their bed, in their pyjamas, without their hair done. So, um, you know, the yeah. comfort of their own home. It's so important that when dealing with a diagnosis and the effects of a critical illness, that um, somebody has someone to turn to. Helping people prepare questions they may wish to ask their consultant helps them feel empowered and more in control of their situation. I suppose, like you're saying about, the, you know, the being able to ask those questions and you helping them. I think, and you said before about, you know, when you were in the inner city, you didn't feel like you had the time you know, for people. I, I don't think anybody you know, I, I, I don't think any of us can really, in a sense, criticise the NHS at all. You know, it is an amazing, amazing institution, but I, I don't think any of us can deny that it, it, people, the resources are, you know, um, they're, they're struggling and they, they don't necessarily have time. Alan um, was recently in hospital and, you know, apparently he could have been, he was in for five days and apparently he could have been out within two or three. Um, but the problem was there just wasn't a doctor there <laughs> to be able to, in a sense, sign him out. And obviously the nurses weren't allowed to. And the thing is, is that they couldn't come in and speak to him enough and, you know, to yeah. tell him the latest updates. And, you know, I think having a service like yours where, you know, you've, you've all been there, you've been hands on, you know, the questions you know it's kind of like reading insurance forms sometimes so when I ask people about an insurance form and they tell me about a health condition I'll often ask a lot more than what's on the form because I know from experience all the extra bits I need to know and I imagine that's very much similar to in a sense you guys in the sense that you're like right okay you've been told this but what you need to know is this 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 Absolutely. and you know yeah. you can get support over here 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 and here and I, I know you do things as well like um I know you can send out books as well, can't you, to sort of like help explain things to children? Definitely. And I think our service is so unique and it's really tailored to the individual, to what their needs are. Our nurses are really skilled, having a conversation, finding out actually what would help that person. And nobody, it, everybody's different. And everybody, even if they've got the same diagnosis, their needs will be different. They might identify somebody would benefit from some counselling. Somebody else might benefit from some complementary therapies to, to you know, to help them relax and sleep. So very much depending on on the what the individual would need. And the important thing with Red Dog is the relationship with the patient and the nurse, and the patients trust the nurse. 
um, which is really, really important. And again, going back to time, you mentioned that time is a, it's a rare commodity in the NHS. Um, and it's so important that in these really difficult situations that our patients are given the time. And then the support we can give people be given the extra the time to talk, have the opportunity to talk through their concerns and explore what's going on for them, what their worries are and the impact this may have on their family. We can arrange, you mentioned apps for the phone, I've mentioned maybe some complementary therapies, yeah. but there's a, we've got a wide range of therapies that we can we can offer. And again it's down to the to the nurse to to make that judgment call and discuss that with the with the, um, the patient, depending on the individual needs. Um, we also offer a second medical opinion, um, which can be, you know, and there's many reasons why people might need a second medical opinion. It might be confirmation of a diagnosis, you've undergone treatment but are concerned that the symptoms are continuing. Um, I, I, again, it's for someone who has doubts about the information or recommendation from their current uh, consultant, yeah. but the nurse will beforehand will help them prepare questions to ask and what to expect. And following that consultation, they'll go through them. Um, you know what was said at the at that consultation. The, it's the relationship with the patient and the nurse, which is so crucial. And the nurse can keep in touch with their patients as often and as long as they need. Uh, they have their own dedicated nurse and there's no time time limit on the relationship. I've been on the phone from as little as a few minutes if people just have a simple questions about their treatment or a lot longer if they just really need someone to talk to. You can't underestimate the value of giving somebody the time that they need. They might not need to talk for a period of time, but just knowing that you are there can make such a difference. It's, it's just comfort, isn't it? I know um, my colleague, Lindsay, she'll be on the next episode and we're going to be talking about um, her. She's had a number of significant um, events happening this year. And one of the main ones was that she lost her mum earlier this year to cancer. And, um, and I know she's been very open about um, speaking to one of your nurses and she's just, you know, she's always saying to me the next time I see her, she's sort of like saying, I've, I've spoken to my Red Ag nurse again and just how much comfort that is providing her. And also just different things like knowing how to best um, support her children. Obviously, you know, very, very close family and, you know, just different things and ways that she can kind of describe things to them um and how to to process it all and i think you know when it comes to these things especially with the value-added benefits it's not just what say like for the insurances you know it's not just um the policy holder that is benefiting it's that whole family unit and I, th I think that's incredibly important to know and it's is, is a huge advantage as well when an advisor is putting a recommendation together you know if you do have a value-added benefit there that is available with the insurer you know it's it's a very powerful thing to let people know about and it's it's really showcasing the value of these insurances not just at a claim but also at any stage and um, and how we can get people this extra support because you know life events are happening all the time and we don't all take the time to sort of stop and process and 
you know, do what we need to do because as I say, life's so hectic now. And, um, and I think it's, it's just really important to have people like yourselves um, just on hand to, to help guide people through, through what's happening. We do hear a lot from our patients. They don't know what to say to their children, to family members. And again, we have a wealth of resources within our nurse team pointing in the right direction. We've got some absolutely lovely books that we send out to to, to our patients that people you know, find absolutely invaluable. And I think over the years, we've built up our resources that we know are tried and tested. And we obviously get feedback from our patients that you know these resources are excellent. Yeah, I think it didn't you say as well that, and I'm, I've heard this plenty of times before, and I'm, I'm sure there's been a number of instances where you've actually had you know, incredible feedback where people have said that, you know, when they've made a claim on these insurances, obviously the money from the claim is is obviously very helpful, but it is the services and the coping strategies and that support that people like yourselves at Red Ark are able to offer that people say that they, that just stands out far more than the sense the money did in actually truly helping them when these things happen. Yes, I've actually had one of my patients who I helped. She had a um, diagnosis of breast cancer and she was passed from pillar to post. Um, she wasn't getting the answers that she needed. And for her, just having the support of a dedicated nurse made such a difference to her life. She was a single mum with a, um, a, a son, teenage son, and again, was um, found, found that really challenging. His behaviour was challenging. And anyway, I supported her for quite a long period of time um, through a treatment, following a treatment. I found it really humbling to hear that um, our service had made such a difference to this lady. And she actually said the our, our service was worth more to her than the actual parent itself. Yeah, it's it, I'm incredibly so. And obviously, thank you so much for all the work that you guys guys are doing. We are coming towards the end of the uh, of the episode now, and so um, you have the um, the joy of being part of the latest uh, Truth or Life feature at the end. Um, so we're going to do it this week, and I'm going to start it off by saying um, we're going to talk about chocolate bars, everybody. So I'm going to say that my favourite chocolate bar is a Twix. So Sue, can you let us know what your favourite chocolate bar is? Mars bar. A Mars bar. Nice. Very nice. Um, so um, thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you so much, Sue, for joining me. It's been lovely to speak with you and to hear about your experiences. I'm going to be back in two weeks chatting with Lindsay Mason from Cura. She's my marketing executive and she will be talking about the loss of her mum this year, putting an insurance claim forward and the benefit of speaking to a Red Ark nurse. So thank you very much for joining me, Sue. Thank you, Catherine, for giving me the opportunity to speak today. And thank you to everyone listening. I hope you found this interesting and helpful. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Sue. Bye. Bye.